I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, we're recording. All okay. right, here we go. Okay. Relax, Ready? Relax. Welcome to Sick Boy Live from the Halifax Central Library, presented by Good Girl. Fuck! Keep going, keep going, keep going. You got it. Welcome to Sick Boy Live from the Halifax Central Library, presented by Good Girl. God damn it, we gotta do it again, guys. <laughs> Third time's a charm. Okay, third time's a charm. <laughs> Fuck. You know what's crazy is but that we, really do this, can't we do this, this one set. try, you know the no best problem, I know. every time I know. It's it's different. in the studio. It's different when it's not just your two best friends. You're nervous. You're nervous. Right, here we okay. go. Relax. Right. <laughs> you got just this. Just take a deep breath. You got this. Ready? Yeah. Okay, we're recording. I'm, I'm, yeah. I've been ready. Welcome to Sick Boy Live from the Halifax Central Library, presented by Good Grief Nova Scotia. We're diving into the world of tattoos and grief. Let's, Let's talk. talk about it. You killed that one. Yes. And you were recording. And we're recording, and we're doing it, and we're live and we're here. We're back to where it all began, guys. Where it all began. We were saying as we were as we were coming in here, we were like, "Holy shit!" There's a lot of good memories here. Eight years ago. We were coming to the library every Wednesday yeah. to talk about something, whatever we individually were working on and seeing if we could work on it together. And then from those weekly meetings upstairs on the second floor, somebody at one point said, we should, uh, maybe we should make a podcast. I said that. Okay. <laughs> Distorted memory, maybe. It was my idea. So Jer's idea, entirely Jer's idea. And we decided to make a podcast, and we looked over at the far side of the room, and we saw, hey, that's interesting. There's a recording studio over there. And we walked over and said, hey, what's the deal with this recording studio? And they said, hey, you can use it for free. That's the deal. Sweet deal. <laughs> it was a pretty sweet deal. So we did. And we recorded, yeah. I don't know, what, first 20 episodes, maybe? Yeah, a whole Something bunch. Like and now, and fast then, forward to today, we have uh, this, we've, we've published 780 episodes. I looked at it today. It's crazy. Which is uh, freaking wild. And now we find ourselves back here at the library doing a live show. Um, and, and we get to talk about probably the one thing, as much as I love talking to people about their like weird and wild and wacky diseases, because uh, they're all weird and wild and wacky, the thing I love talking about the most is death and grief and all aspects of, of that. Because it is something that, you know... It's the one thing that, no matter what, it's the one thing, the only thing that we all share in common. Except maybe, and maybe, yeah. We, we also breathe oxygen. I'm, I'm might, sleeping. I'm, I might make it. Yeah. Eating. Yeah. <coughs> I'm, I take it back. Um, but we, uh, we do. It's one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> it's widely shared. <laughs> all right. Let's uh, let's get into uh, our guest for today. One of our two guests for today. 
Um, we are going to be sitting down with our new friend, Susan. Um, oh, there you are. I was like, where is Susan? Um, and uh, Susan is a member of several multidisciplinary research teams in grief and bereavement. And current research includes memorial tattoos and grief after an assisted death. Medical assistance in dying, also known as MAID. Please give a huge, warm round of applause for our guest today, Susan. Susan, the first thing that I want you to do is um, please convince Jeremy that if you have a tattoo, you're not a bad person. <laughs> wait, wait. Convince me that if you have a tattoo, you are not yeah, a bad person? Because that Jeremy holds a, has a very deep-seated belief that if you have a tattoo on your body, it makes you a bad person. <laughs> no. Yeah. I don't believe yeah. that for a second. Yeah, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look like that straight story. <laughs> Susan, um, first of all, I want to say, uh, say thank you for, for taking time to sit down and chat with us today. Uh, secondly, I want to say, what a cool... What a cool topic for research mm. to blend tattoos yep. and grief. So I guess the first question I have is, uh, do you have any tattoos? I do not have any tattoos. Okay, interesting. <laughs> I know that's my confession. Okay, I think and it makes it. I think it makes it more interesting. Mm -hmm. well, and then my second, uh, my second question would be, um, uh, have you ever lost anyone in your life? Yes. Okay. So I came to grief. Um, personally before I came to it professionally. Um, so in the 90s, I, um, I have a friend who describes me as queer adjacent, and I had a number of friends who died of HIV and AIDS. And mm. at the same time that I was having kids and a lot of my other friends were having kids, so I was living with this life and death kind of both ends of the continuum and had zero language had absolutely no language to talk about it. Um, and so started talking about it and researching it and you know bringing it into my work and ended up doing a PhD looking at people who cared for someone who had died of AIDS. Interesting, okay. So what, uh, what was your PhD? It, uh, I have a PhD in social work and I looked at people who um, grew from the experience of caring for someone, caring about someone with HIV and AIDS who had died. So it was about grief, it was about caregiving, it was about HIV and AIDS, um, it was about all kinds of things, but it was really about how um, those experiences were actually positive for them as well as negative. Yeah. Because grief, we all know, is negative, but we don't know very much about the positive aspects. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's like, you know, we, we've we have uh, have said like a, a, a million times over how our society is a very death phobic society. You know, yes. we're, we're afraid to face it. We don't like to talk about it. We don't want to think about it. Yeah. Um, so I can only imagine like when you started doing this research and, you know, at a dinner party and you meet someone and they go, what are, what are you, what are you into? Yes, and you yeah, tell right. them, they go, okay. Do you think that it's uh, this, maybe this is a little bit too simplistic, but do you think that, that grief is sort of like underneath it all is like exclusively positive, but but we just lack the uh, or oftentimes lack, like you said, like the language, the ability to move through it in a way that allows us to get to the positivity of it. Or it's a really good that? question. I don't think it's inherently positive, but I mean, 
I think it's it's not as tragic as we make it out to be. And um, it is, I mean, just because death is a part of life, therefore grief is a part of life. Mm -hmm. And because we deny that death is a part of life, just, I want to, I just want to say as a sidebar, one of my most favorite moments in ever, in radio ever, was when the three of you were on, um, if CBC with Anna Maria Tremonti, mm. and, and, and I think it was you, Jeremy, said, we're all going to die. I'm going to die. You, Anna Maria Tremonti, you're going to die. And I just thought, yeah, I don't think I was driving. I think I was like, yes! <laughs> and, we, you know, we, but we don't say those kinds of things out loud. I yeah. mean, as a child, I was still, we don't talk about that. Yeah. Um, and by extension, we, then we don't talk about grief either. Mm. And... So I don't think that grief is inherently uh, positive or negative. I think it is, um, it just, it is, and it's, it can be really difficult in, in various circumstances, and it can be really wonderful. I was, uh, my, my daughter burnt the tips of her fingers yesterday. Oh. And... Uh, she what? She burnt the tips of her fingers. Oh, he was teaching her how to use the stove. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's 18 uh, months old. She has to learn yeah. at some point. <laughs> She's got to start somewhere. Got to start somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and once I, once I realized um, that she was okay, it was like, yeah. it, it, it really, like, the moment passed for me. I was like, you're right. okay. Yeah. You know, things to think about to avoid that in the future, that sort right. of thing, like, right. moving on. Um, where my wife, it really, the, 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 the idea of, like, what could have happened or it could have been worse, yeah. and that really stuck yeah. with her. Yeah. And, and she was like, oh, I, it just, like, breaks my heart to, like, think of the moment that that happened, mm -hmm. and she didn't know what was going on, right. and it was, you know, she's having this, like, traumatic experience, and I was like, I was like, yeah, but, like, those are, the, you know, those are the things that, like, make us human, yeah. you know, like, those experiences make us, yep. the Ooh. ability to have a moment where you're, like, consumed by this emotion and this feeling mm -hmm. are really kind of like what make us human and grief I think is yeah. you know of course Absolutely. a very similar thing I yeah. think that was very well put that it's not positive or negative it just mm -hmm. is it's mm -hmm. what makes us mm -hmm. us I, I am curious though like going from your experience of losing people and then going into studying grief yeah um like what was the biggest surprise to you when you first started to learn about it um I guess how little people understand it. And I mean, it, basically, I had to learn the language myself. Um, my PhD, um, I don't think I really actually talked about grief in my PhD. And I've just, I've really, I've really come into that. And I've really come into, um, to, to the language. And, you know, we've, we've been working with this idea of grief literacy. And, and I wasn't grief literate. And so I would reach out to people and... They, you know, I just had so many experiences where people would just not deal with it well because I couldn't articulate it well and I couldn't ask for what I needed. Um, so, you know, it, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's, there's so much that we need to learn. I dream about a world where we educate little kids. Yeah. Children of all ages, adults, public public education campaigns. Like that's why this Good Grief Nova Scotia Week is so awesome, and I want to take it to other provinces and other areas because we need to be talking about this more. Do you uh, do you feel grief literate now? 
I, I do. I mean, I, I teach about it. Does that mean that um, that I know how to deal with it in the in every circumstance? Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, I feel like I can I can talk about it lots, and I can talk to other people about it. Um, and it, my my dad died in 2019, and you know that that was a, um, I think a very good death, and um, mm -hmm. you know I feel good about that and so the grief wasn't really difficult and um you know i mean if if one of my kids died i probably would be telling you a different story mm, yeah. you, you know yeah totally but but also I, I i do have to say like i don't think that grief literacy means uh experiencing grief and not and it not being hard right i think grief yeah. I, I i i think that uh I think that can be a common misconception. That yeah, like, totally. You can yeah, get, exactly. That you can get good. Yeah. Do, you, do, you, but do you guys feel grief literate? Yes. And but I would say that, from my understanding, to become grief literate doesn't mean that it becomes easier. It means that it becomes more familiar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I wonder if like grief intelligence is a be, is a better grief is a better term. Grief IQ. You know. <laughs> like, yeah. Like because I think of like I, I think of like I, when I think of grief literacy. Right. I I also think. It, may, it makes me think about like emotional intelligence. Right. Yeah. Um, emotional literacy sounds dumb. Uh, yeah. Grief literacy doesn't sound dumb, but but it, but I feel like it maybe it, it like it, it it's it's a better it may be a better example of of like the use of the term. Mm -hmm. um, does it, uh, how many people just by like show of hands who here feels grief literate? In the audience, we got, so we got like uh, yeah. I see some like eh, kind of. I see some like absolute straight nose, and then I see some like really cocky people. One of my students. Uh, one of my students is here, so he better feel grief led. Right? <laughs> that's good. I mean, like to see some hands go up, like you, you know, that's if you are raising your hand to that, it, it that's that's a good sign, I think. Even if you aren't grief literate and you think you are, that's probably better than not being at all, you know, because I think, I think for a lot of us, it, when we, like, I know if I wasn't going to raise my hand, it's because I, I am, or, you know, there was a, there was a point in my life where I definitely wouldn't have raised my hand because I did not handle grief well. Mm. Like I did, I, grief was, uh, I was bad at grief. Mm. I was a bad griever, you know, uh, bad at talking about it, bad at, you know, acknowledging it. And, right. When it came to other, when it came to grieving, uh, when it came to grieving other people, right? Um, can, can we I, put like a little bit of a? Can we put some context around grief? Like talk about like what like what 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 entails what entails grief? Um, you know, in your in the time that you've spent researching and studying and everything, like what what is what encompasses the process? I mean, so grief by definition is a a, a reaction to. Um, to any kind of loss, not just death. Yeah. Um, and um, we tend to think of it societally um, as a very individual experience, and it can, it is it's very individual in that we will all grieve differently. However, it is also a very communal experience and a community-oriented experience. And so, I think um, there's a social aspect to grief that um, we need to understand more about. Um, their communities can grieve. And um, so grief is, I mean, there's no, uh, you know, there's lots of definitions like grief is the price you pay for love. Grief is, 
Um, what, what's the more recent one? Grief is, grief is love that has nowhere to go. Um, and I struggle oh, with God, those. That fucking hurts. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I struggle with like, that. I struggle with that because grief is not just love because we grieve people that we don't like as well. Yeah. So mm. um, I really dislike the term loved one. When someone becomes sick or someone dies, we turn them into a loved one and they're, they're not necessarily loved one. Mm. They, you don't, you don't necessarily for instance you if you have an abusive parent you're you you can you're still potentially going to grieve when that person dies mm. but that doesn't mean you love them um and so the um the sort of definitions of um you know grief around love are 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 problematic because i think they reduce the experience i like to think about hmm. um death-related death loss in terms of um, what we refer to as continuing bonds. Like, death doesn't end a relationship, it transforms a relationship. Mm -hmm. So I, um, you know, I have a connection to those friends who died. Like, I do things in my life thinking about the things that I learned from those friends, the things that I would say to them if I could, and, you know, that, and, you know, that was 30 years ago now. So... Um, those relationships didn't end when they died; they've changed. Mm -hmm. I think that was probably the that was the the thing that I that was most apparent to me when I lot when we lost somebody that I think probably for the three of us was one of, if not the first person that was um, like chosen family that mm -hmm. passed away, and our friend Brandon, who we, who was who was on the show a yeah. number of times, and. Um, and that was a very different experience from losing a family member that was older than you. So that in your head, from yes. the moment that you can conceptualize death, you sort of have in your mind, like, they are before me. And there's right. something, uh, I don't know, there's something um, chronological that yep. makes sense about that yep. versus having a friend who's younger yep. than you pass away. Yep. And re realizing that that experience of who that person was, what they meant to you and your relationship to them, it doesn't shut off like a light switch. It's more of like a very slow dimming over a long mm -hmm. period of time yeah. where it transforms yeah. itself rather yeah. than just like, you know, changes form entirely. Yeah. And sometimes that light flicks on, right? So there's moments where I just, you know, there's someone who died 30 years ago, I miss them so much because I really want to ask them this right now or, you know, where I really... Um, you know, or, or when a parent a parent dies, and you know you're getting married, or having a baby, or doing something, you know, graduating, or you know something, you're accomplishing something, and you you feel a regret, like the light flicks on because you really wish your parent was here to say that, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, like the mm. um, actually like the light switch um, idea. It's it kind of dim, like it's on a dimmer, but then sometimes it just goes bright again, and then mm. it can go off again. So it, it's it's interesting thinking about Brandon because I remember one thing that his mom said when he passed away is mm. um is is that she was really she hoped that his friends would remember who yeah. he was yeah and i was thinking about how you know as somebody who's grieving the loss of somebody thinks about how the memory is kept and and yeah. and held on to yeah. um what like what have you learned about the way that we remember people or memorialize people after they're gone well i mean that's that's where the tattoos come in because, I mean, there's lots and lots of ways that people memorialize other people. 
Um, I have a bedside lamp that you know was belonged to one of the friends who died, for instance. So that's one of my ways mm -hmm. of memorializing. Um, but the yeah, tattoos are one of those ways that um, that people you know express um, express those bonds. Mm -hmm. They really are um, an example of um, the the way that people. Uh, are in relationship to the person who's died. Mm -hmm. It's it's really um it's interesting because when we were talking uh backstage we were talking yeah. about memory yeah. in general and like yeah. how hard it is to remember things yeah. <laughs> and yeah. like when you add in you know think of all the people that you meet in your life and that you'll eventually yeah. you know if you if you live to see old age the people that you lose along the way it's yeah. like you know, it can be almost like anxiety inducing trying to think of like actively trying to like honor and remember mm -hmm. all of those people. I lost, um, you know, I lost a friend when I was 16 yeah. and, um, sometimes I like, will like remember her and, and, and have that memory that like I've forgotten about her a bit yeah. and it makes me feel, um, kind of sad. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting, like when I was 16, I wasn't old enough to get a tattoo, but I remember wanting to like feel some sort of mm. like pain around that process. And yeah. and um, so I like carved her hockey number into my hand with a pen and like it's still wow. scarred um, yeah. to this day. But I think about you know, like it, it's interesting because like I grew up with this like negative association with tattoos mm -hmm. where like I grew up in a, a home where it's like, don't you know, don't put that on your body, it'll last forever. And you you're know, a bad person ended up getting tattoos. It does last forever. Yeah, <laughs> it does. Yeah. yeah. But, but it's interesting <laughs> to think of like, like how my relationship has changed with like, you know, like would I get a tattoo to memorialize somebody who's gone? Like, I don't know if I, like if I did that for one person, then would I feel like I have to do it for an, another person? And like, exactly. you know, I'm going to run out of real estate on my skin eventually if I keep doing that and live long yep. enough. Yeah. You got more real estate than you think. It's kind of hard to run out. I've tried and I still have a lot of real estate. I, uh, he's lots, lots up here still. Up um, before we get deep into the tattoos, I do, there's one thing, you know, uh, it, it's always so nice to be able to speak to someone who's, who has, you know, put a lot of, time and effort in their life to do legitimate research into the topic of right. grief. Uh, and so I'm wondering if you can kind of lay out for us um, maybe some stigmas surrounding grief that people might not think about or, or you know, that, uh, that aren't really, like, evident. Yeah. Um, well, I, 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 uh, I think of them more about, like, sort of the myths. Um, the, one yeah. of the, the, one of the common ones is that grief has stages, um, and people, um, for instance, I have a friend who's a, who has a counseling agency and she has people who arrive in her office and say, I'm not grieving right because I haven't done this right. stage or that, you know, that sense. So that, that's, um, that's, it's a disservice and it's and that idea of stages is everywhere. And can you, can you walk it like, um, cause when you, I, I get it when you say that, but, yeah. I, but I think if I, you know, if I lost someone tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> I think I would have to be, I think I would, if I, if I thought of like the stages of grief and that's the proper right. way to do it, yeah. I think I'd have to Google what they, they are. Right. Like what are the, what are the, right. what are the stages of grief that so there's, there's, people there's think are? Well, it depends on who you ask. So there's Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um, yes. defined five stages of grief. In fact, in fact, what she defined were five stages of acceptance of someone um, with a terminal illness, not grief. Uh -huh. It got translated into grief. Right. 
And apparently she never wanted it to happen, but it kind of happened. I think it's our, our need to compartmentalize things. Um, and, um, and then David Kessler, who worked with her, um, recently published a book about the sixth stage of grief, which is finding meaning, which I totally agree that finding meaning is a really important piece. The five stages, you put me on the spot, I probably won't be able to think of them. Anger, bargaining, depression, and some, uh, <laughs> anybody <laughs> Anger, else? Anger, <laughs> bargaining, sadness, depression, denial, complicated denial. grief disorder, acceptance, guilt, anxiety. It mean, sounds that's, like that's more nine. than five. I mean, there's something Google's about Google's just it. like, have them all. Fucking. There's something about it, like, who here was like, oh, yeah, stages of grief. Like, something that's yeah. that you've yeah. heard, yeah. familiar with. I mean, there, again, I probably would have, same as you, Jer, been like, right, yeah, stages of grief. I've mm -hmm. heard that before. There's, there's stages to it. And as soon as you say that, I go, yeah, one of the thing, one of the problems that would come up in my mind is uh, there are lots of people who like to be, there are lots of people who are type A, let's mm -hmm. say, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. are like, well, there's a process yep. mm -hmm. and yep. I need to follow the process. And if I'm not following the process, then yep. I'm not doing it right. Or I'm not, yep. or, or like I'm, yep. I'm, there's something wrong with me. Yep. And I could see how that could bring up a lot of issues, yep. not necessarily just for yep. type A people, but like just for going there's something chronological to this, and there's a right way to do it. Exactly. And I've heard them described as signposts, which is a little bit better, but still, like, you know, if they're signposts that you don't actually need, like, you don't need to go to that destination. Like, I don't think everybody is, I don't think everybody goes through denial about grief, for instance. Some people do, some people don't, but... Um, and, and, and anger, like, that's not something that necessarily everyone feels. May, lots of people do, mm -hmm. but to... To, the, to have the notion that you have to do one and then two and then three and then four is just such a huge disservice. It, and it also ties in the, the, the comment about, um, you know, feeling like you're doing something wrong is people think that there's a timeline and that people will often um, think that, you know, after X number of months or weeks or whatever it should be over and grief um, like like your dimming analogy, grief does, it just changes. It doesn't it doesn't end. It it changes. And when you when someone really really important dies, or something, or you're grieving a loss that is really important in your life, that's that's never going to go away. Yeah. Do you think that the, there's just like way too much of a mm, confusion is not the right word, but like too much of a of a tie with the word grief. I think pe I think it's commonly held belief that uh, grief and sadness mm -hmm. are synonyms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. kind of breaking that bond. Yeah. Because when you say like grief changes, yeah. that you're never not grieving. Yeah. You know, like when I think of Brandon, for example, like I don't feel sad. Right. But I feel mm -hmm. about him mm -hmm. and about the loss. But I don't feel sadness. And that... And so kind of thinking about grief in this way, that is like, it just takes the form of whatever that maybe is for you in relation to the loss that you've had. You don't feel sadness? About Brandon? Yeah. Nope. Neither of you guys? No. I, I mean, like I, 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 can, I, can, I can bring myself there. Yeah. You know, it, it's, it, but I, I see what you're saying. It's like talking about Brandon right now, I'm not like, oh. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I've, I, I, I went through that. Yeah. Not to say that I went through a stage. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it sounded kind of like that. It sounds like I kind of did. 
weird. Um, <laughs> well, like, uh, but it's funny because I feel sadness, but I feel also like gratefulness that I got yeah. to meet him. And I feel, yeah. I feel like oh, yeah. I feel so many emotions. Yeah, when but I think Brian, you're, like, you're the you're the golden retriever of the group. You feel <laughs> everything. <laughs> but 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 I put I, your tongue <laughs> back in your mouth. <laughs> Stop panting. But sit I, down. I, I don't sit. Know. I, I'm, I'm curious what you, I'm curious what you think, Susan, in terms of. <laughs> Thank you for doing uh, it. Good boy. Good boy. <laughs> Here, have a treat. Just because, just because, just because. <laughs> when we think about children grieving, children play, they might cry, and then they play, and then they might ask a question, and then they might do something else, and then they, you know, they, they, they're like switching. And why can't adults grieve like that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not all 100% sadness. And I think, you know, I think that's. I mean, that's what I hear the three of you talking about is, yeah, at the time, there were probably lots of sadness. And over time, there's sadness and gratitude and, you know, nostalgia and all kinds of other feelings. So. And, and joy and happiness yes. and laughter. Yes. I mean, like, big time, you know? How privileged you were to have him in your life. Yeah. 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 And like the, the other day, you know, I was, I, I, I mean, one of the, one of the hardest, um, the hardest experiences of grief I ever experienced was losing my dog. Yep. And he was, you know, he was like, he wasn't, he, he was only eight and a half when we put him down. Yep. And, um, you know, the other day, like I was just thinking about Bigby. I was thinking about him and yep. I was thinking about in particular a time where I was hanging out with someone new and we were smooching and Bigby farted. And she left because it was that bad. And I thought that I just, I was like, I was just watching my dishes and I was busting my ass laughing at my dog that like cock blocked me with his, with his bottle. You know, I was like, son of a bitch. It's, you know, those are, those are the moments where, and, and like that, that I was grieving, you know, I was grieving in that moment. I was, I was thinking of my dog, but somehow those thoughts went to like this really silly moment that you know him and I had. Is that grief? And yes, because grief can be laughter, absolutely. And grieving animals is so underrated. I know. We yeah. we really don't like to acknowledge that kind of I, grief. even right even I mean even right there in saying that yeah. there was the, there was this little voice. Mm-hmm. That that you know that was kind of sitting here going yeah, yeah but that's not real grief, Jer. Like because yeah. that you know you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was it was just your dog, but really, it's uh, you know. If, I mean, if anyone here had a dog that they loved, um, which <laughs> whoever had a dog that they didn't love, and the dog died, then you know, you know, you know that how. I mean, and it doesn't even have to be a dog; it could be a fucking goldfish. dogs are exceptions to the loved ones thing. They are all dogs. Yeah, our loved, loved ones. ones. Yeah, we did a sure, uh, yeah. we did a live show in Edmonton. Uh, I can't remember when that was a year ago now. I think. And we spoke with a friend of ours, Jeremy, who runs a um, funeral home. And he, I don't know, how old is Jeremy? He's like, he's like. 37. He's like yeah, in his 30s running a funeral home. Mm-hmm. And basically the whole conversation, it was around grief. And our conversations with Jeremy are always about grief. But the whole conversation really revolved around his family dog passing away. Mm-hmm. And his three children who are all at different ages Mm -hmm. and the different ways of communicating Mm -hmm. that loss Mm -hmm. to his 
you know, two-year-old, his four-year-old, his yeah. seven-year-old, and how that all yeah. took like this totally different shape yeah. and like a conversation around like grief and loss and death mm-hmm. um, that is, you know, shaped and molded for the person that you are going through that with yeah. and to go through that with them and to be kind of like a role model for, you know, this is okay and all this stuff. It was a really amazing conversation. Well, one thing that I, I feel like it's worth it to add about pets in general, in particular dogs, because, you know, having a dog, I, I feel dogs are better than all their animals. I know. I <laughs> I was know. You don't have to tell me. I know. <laughs> I was going to say. I'm a but cat person, but okay. <laughs> it's, it's interesting when like, you know, um, my girlfriend's here and like when, when I go away and I, when I go away, yeah. I miss her, but yeah. I can call her and talk to her yes. and like tell yeah. her about my day yeah. and like she knows that I'm going to be home on like the Thursday or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But like my dog doesn't know. No. And so like yeah. trying to like leave and like, n- not to say Maddie, that I miss the dog more than you. <laughs> say it. But he does. He says it. it. We go on the road. He's like, miss Maddie, but damn. He's like, uh, Maddie's one Miss Rupert way more. Yeah. But it, but it is, it is genuinely like when you feel like you can't communicate your emotions to this thing, but you yeah. feel so much love for it. Yeah. It can be really sad. Yeah. And, and, and the other way around, I mean, I've read an account of or numerous accounts of people who find that dogs in particular are the best um, not humans, best people, not the best entities to understand their grief, to sit with their grief. Because oh, yeah. humans humans want to make grief, people who are grieving feel better. We want to change their minds. Yeah. We want to get them out of sadness. We want to we want them to jolly up, let it go, whatever, whatever. And mm. dogs just, mm. you know, they're with people. Yeah. They yeah. put their heads on you and they just wait until you are feeling differently. Brian, Brian's missing Rupert so hard right yeah. now. I, I, mean, I can just tell. Just on, on, on that, because that it's almost like that this, that dogs are, they're, they're, they're sort of showing you mm-hmm. how you could and probably should be mm-hmm. with somebody in like many different regards. And this is an example that I've brought up several times in the show over the past, over the past year. Um, you know, I have a, a 18 month old and we were going through IVF treatment to have her and, and that brought a whole, you know, yeah. mess of complicated stuff and emotions and trials and tribulations along with it. And there was one, um, and, and, and I'm a very pragmatic person. So whenever there was like a problem or Kyla brought up like a, a way that she was feeling and I would try to come up with a solution mm-hmm. to that. And that mm-hmm. was my, my kind of default mode. And then at one point, I, I, I can't remember if I came to it on my own or if somebody kind of said something to me or, or nudged me in the right direction. But Someone definitely said something. <laughs> <laughs> but I ultimately was like, you know, I said, I said to her one, I was like, do you want me to, do you need a solution or do you just need me to just mm-hmm. shut the fuck up and be here? And she said, I don't need you. a solution. I need you to just shut the fuck <laughs> up and be here. Yeah, that is what she said. And that was like, and that's so simple. And then you went, oh. <laughs> There's a- but I have a fix for that. <laughs> yeah. and, and, I, and I thought that that was just like, yeah. you know, yeah. it's so simple. Yeah. It's so simple. Yeah. Uh, and it really kind of changed the paradigm. There's a, pl- there's a play called This Is How We Got Here. I can't remember the playwright's name, um, Indigenous Canadian. Um, and um, 
there's a moment that it's about uh, an adult child who dies, and the parents and aunt and uncle. Um, and um, there's a moment where the parents, the mother's saying something, and the father says something in return, and the mother puts her hand on the father's knee and says, you can't fix this. Just mm -hmm. listen, or something like that. And I just... <laughs> it's so hard not to turn to my partner in the audience and say, did you hear that? Yeah, you get it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm not the only one who says that. <laughs> uh, Keith Baker is the, uh, the playwright there yes. that, uh, that wrote that. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. Um, awesome okay, let's let's dive into uh, tattoos. <laughs> you got a tattoo. <laughs> so did you, dude? Oh. oh, dude, what does my tattoo say? Sweet. <laughs> what about mine, dude? What does mine say? <laughs> Sweet. What about mine, dude? What does mine say? Sweet. Sweet. It was five more minutes of that. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, let's talk about tattoos. Um, so you have no tattoos. I know you guys do. Uh, who has tattoos in the audience? We've got a uh, few. Yeah, yeah, sweet. Yeah. Okay. Maybe uh, two-thirds. Yeah, sweet. Yeah. Uh, do you guys want to see something really cool? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I, I, uh, I have a lot of tattoos, and I only saw this video recently, and we don't need audio because I can just tell you what's happening, but this is a tattoo gun stabbing ink into a uh, ballistic gel that's, uh, that's meant to like replicate skin, um, shot very close at 20,000 frames per second. Is this slow-mo, guys? Yeah. Sleeping like Oh, there we go, we got audio. Yeah. So what watch this. Every tattoo is oh, little ew. spikes of wow. ink right there. <laughs> Must do. Looks like, like a bud. The skin just grabs it. Like the needles <laughs> pull it through capillary action and then the skin just grabs it. How wild is that? Under the skin. I mean, obviously, ballistic gel isn't skin, but yeah. to, get, to get the same effect, you know, it's as close as we can wow. get. Look <laughs> at the ripple when it pops out. Look at the, the, the yeah, the surface of the skin. Just Man, slow-mo guys are that's, awesome. That's why I don't have tattoos. I, I'm telling you right now, when I watched that, when I watched that video, I went, ooh, I don't know about that anymore. That looks so deep. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know what? We should do... It's only a millimeter, millimeter and a half, apparently. We should do a, a math calculation. I'm sure that we could get the... We could do... If we find out the RPMs at which uh, a gun is fires and then estimating the, all the time that you have spent under a tattoo gun and you could figure out the amount of times that you've been stabbed with a tattoo. 4,000 to 10,000 RPMs. So, you know, <laughs> somewhere around like 6,000 or 8,000 RPMs probably. Over how many hours? Well, the piece, yeah, it depends Christ, on the size know, dude, of the piece, like, right? Yeah, that's like, yep. like 45 hours, probably. I have no idea. Probably a like a million. Yeah, I've got a lot. My whole back is done. I got, I got a bunch of tattoos, but I don't have any grief tattoos yet. Okay. Um, yet. Yet. Um, but my tattoos aside, what on earth 
got you involved mm-hmm. in studying the intersection between tattoos and grief? Because it's it's such a cool mm-hmm. uh, line of uh, like field of study. So years ago, I was uh, co-facilitating a grief group in the community, and um, I just started hearing things like, I never thought I'd get a tattoo, but... And there was one um, gentleman in the group whose wife had died suddenly, and he and his daughter both got love in the mother-wife's handwriting on their wrist. And I just remember that story and I started talking to a friend of mine who also does grief work and uh, is a bereaved mom and has tattoos and she was like yeah it's 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 a thing and and so I thought okay I'll look and see what the literature says about it because that's what academics do zip at that time Hmm. there was absolutely nothing in like social sciences, there's like medical literature about the risks of tattoos. And like, <laughs> like, hello, like there's like, it's like all those people who raise their hand in the room, like if it's that dangerous, then why isn't there a higher mortality from tattooing? It seemed, or the kind of, the, the really kind of stigmatized stuff, um, you know. So I thought, okay, that's bizarre. And so with this um, friend, um, Melissa Reed, we um, got a little bit of, you know, funding, got an ethics level on. We thought, oh, we'll just do a little project. We'll interview maybe 15 people, just, you know, locally in, in our corner of Ontario. And um, working with a local organization, they put it in their newsletter. And we had to pull the ad because we got such a huge response. Wow. We, had, we wanted 15. We got 60 people, like, within minutes, like, literally. We had Whoa. people, like... What, and this is pre-pandemic. We want. We had people in Alberta saying, "Oh, can I participate?" And like, we were just blown away. And so we started uh, talking to people. And then I got more funding. We started. To, we talked to more people. And then I got more funding. And we started expanding the uh, topic to what we called healing tattoos. So not just memorial tattoos, but anything that helped heal people. Mm. Um, and. Uh, and now we're studying Holocaust tattoos. So it's just, it's right. growing. And there's a few more people doing research in the, in the area, but there still really is very, very little research about tattoos that isn't really negative, yeah. which is weird. And when you, say, when you say research, like, what are, you, what are you researching? Like, what are you looking into? You know, when these people come forward and they go, yeah, I have a tattoo, it says, like, you know, RIP mom. Right. Like what, it, what is it that you are trying to get to the bottom of with that person or that so, tattoo? Or We wanted to understand the meaning. We wanted to understand what it meant to them to have those tattoos. And um, we, we, the healing tattoos, we started thinking about, um, about the growth and the positive experiences. Because in the memorial tattoo research, we were hearing about really positive experiences, but we didn't sort of go into it with that lens. And so the second project, we really brought that lens into it and how, how it benefited people. Mm. Um, but the, the, I think the single most surprising thing about the memorial tattoos um, was that we, got about, we literally got about halfway through the research and we realized that sometimes we didn't know how the person died. 
And when we've done grief research before, the, every single interview would start with how the person, or, or palliative care, like we'd hear about the diagnosis, or um, when someone died, we'd hear about the death. And sometimes with tattoos, we wouldn't know. Huh. Because that's not what matters with a tattoo. Yeah. What matters is the relationship. What matters is the how that person felt about that person or what that what that that tattoo is symbolizing. Mm. So we have a we have a few pictures here from I, I guess this is from your work. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, are there are there particular stories that go with with these? That, so many stories. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm just yep. curious about the age demographic of the people who were responding initially mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. like when I. First thing I think about when I think about tattoos yep. is my grandmother being like, never, like, yep. never in my fucking life. Yep. yep. And yep. and so Your like grandmother's a little sailor, wasn't she? Eh? Yeah, she actually does, <laughs> and she thinks she, not she's not my a saint. fucking life. Um, but yeah. did, like, were were you noticing? Was it younger people? Was it people of all it was, ages? It's funny because I did not even notice that until a, one of my family members said, "Oh, you know, of course it's all young people," and I went, mm -hmm. and so. I actually counted, and the median age was in the 40s. Our oldest participant was 82 when we interviewed him. He got his first tattoo in his 70s. Whoa, sick. Cool. Yeah, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful that. tattoo. And that, so these are two um, uh, older, well, older, I mean, in their 50s, I'd say, um, both fathers, um, both with son who, sons who died, the... Um, the one on the left is one of, is one of my favorite tattoos. So the the uh, the father on the left, um, we interviewed the mother and father together. Um, their son died. Um, he was an adult. He died in a car accident, and um, they had given him a hard time about getting a tattoo before he died. Huh. And they had no tattoos. And after um, after their son died, the father got exactly the same tattoo that his son had by the same artist oh. as a beginning. And they, um, all, both the mother and father had lots and lots of tattoos. And that, the, the son loved climbing. The carabiners and the climbing equipment um, are in an X, which symbolizes 10 because he got that on the 10th anniversary of his son's pa passing. Oh. And it's also, for him, a representative of a cross. Um, right. And you know, has the dates very like very subtle death, birth and death years, um, and you know, it's not it doesn't scream memorial tattoo, right? Yeah, like yeah. you wouldn't necessarily think, oh, that's a memorial tattoo when you see it. Um, and he said it was incredibly painful. It was a big piece. Yeah, and the back, I mean, it, that's so I'm glad you said that piece, that mm -hmm. it's incredibly painful, because A, um, as someone who has a full back piece uh, and, and tattoos yep. all over the rest of my body as well, yep. the yep. back was, there are, there are parts of my back where it was most certainly the most challenging tattoo I've ever gotten. Yep. It hurt really bad, but that, did, was there any discussion surrounding the, like, pain Yes. Of tattoos when they are, when they, when they have so much like meaning, yep. you know, and, and coming from that place, like what, what sorts of, um, one of my favorite quotes from the, um, from the research was, um, a mother who said that it was actually, it felt good to feel something mm. that was actually giving her something. 
rather mm. than just the pain of grief. Mm -hmm. um, that the pain of the tattoo replaced temporarily the pain of of the grief, and it and it you know and it was giving her a tattoo, so it was giving her something. Whereas it just felt like the grief wasn't you know yeah. giving it's her a, anything. It's interesting when I think of the <clears throat> that tattoo. Like I, I think of when you know when my grandmother talks about tattoos. It's it's oftentimes around yeah. that the sentiment around regret. Like yeah. oh well you'll you'll regret that. Mm -hmm. And I I can't help but think when I look at that that yeah. that person who got that would never yeah. regret getting yep. that. So I'm curious, yeah. um, in your research, did you hear anything about regret? Did you ask them those questions? We asked every single person if they regretted their tattoos. Not a single person regretted a memorial tattoo. A few people had other tattoos that they did regret. <laughs> yeah. And we also, we also heard a lot of, well, I regret that I don't have more because they wanted more tattoos because it's like eating chips. You can't just get one. Totally. It is very addictive, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. very unique, like the pain, I was very interested in that pain aspect of that as well. And like if there was if there was any conclusions drawn between, um, there was any conclusions drawn on um, whether the meaning of having that, if, if having the tattoo was more meaningful or... The experience of getting the tattoo was more was more meaningful. Like if 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 maybe the experience of it was um, was the thing that people really connected with. Because mm -hmm. I have tattoos mm -hmm. and I very much like them, mm -hmm. but I can probably say that I really love the experience of it. Right. I if some if I had to, they're not memorial tattoos, so you know different uh, different thing. But the experience of it is so unique. It's a right. very, very, um, yes, very addictive in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to, it's hard to uh, put your finger on. I I think with the memorial tattoos that having them, I, I mean, the, the it's, for some people the experience was important, but it's the having them that was really important and the connection. When when we would talk to people about their tattoos, they would often be like caressing their tattoos mm. one of the people we interviewed talked about like putting cream on the tattoo it felt like she was taking care of her son mm. like it was for her son um and um people talked a lot about feeling like they had their person with them mm -hmm. and so you know i do think that for some the experience of the ta getting the tattoo itself um wasn't necessarily part of some people didn't even tell their artists yeah. Like some people didn't even engage in the conversation and other people did. And it was really important to choose the right person. Mm -hmm. um, and, 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 you know, and, but what really mattered for everyone was the, that, you know, that continuing relationship that, that the tattoo was. There's a, uh, there's an incredible story that we, we covered on the podcast a while back um, about a, a, a memorial tattoo uh, not technically a memorial tattoo, but was eventually made into a memorial. Um, I feel differently about this one. I uh, okay, that's fair. I, I actually think it's it's awesome. Uh, there was a tattoo artist in Saskatoon named Chris Wenzel, and um, he he was suffering from ulcerative colitis, and he was dying. Uh, and one of his dying wishes to his wife Cheryl was that she remove his preserved ink. Uh, skin him and and preserve it uh, before he was buried. And they went through an entire process to find 
somebody that would be willing to do this. And uh, they, they ended up being contacted by a place called uh, Save My Ink Forever, which is an Ohio-based company that specializes in preserving, uh, preserving tattoos. Yeah. This, so this man, as a tattoo artist, he, had, he was covered. Um, you know, his entire torso wrapped all the way around, both arms full sleeves. And uh, this is what they ended up doing with his back piece and his arm sleeves, um, which is... Creepy. Fucking so <laughs> sick. Like, okay. so Listen, if his wife was like, oh my God, I'm in love with the artwork on your body, I want to save that. Mm. And she saved it, that's one thing. The fact that he was like, <laughs> my dying wish is for you to keep my skin. Well, <laughs> that's fucked up. Well, I will say this. I that's will say this. So, so, so Chris, Chris um, owned a tattoo studio, Brian. Uh, it was called, uh, ele- it's called Electric Underground Tattoo. Um, and so th- when they did this, they actually put it up in the studio. Uh, so it exists at the studio. Guess how much this cost to get this done? Just, a, just shout out a guess. I'm going to Hundred, uh, not, I mean, you're definitely, uh, you would lose in, in, um, the prices, right? But, uh, you, I mean, you're not, it's 70, $1. 70, yeah, yeah. winner, uh, $70,000, $70, Wow. for that process, wow. which is, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's staggering. Brian, I think what you're, I think what you're underestimating in this is like, is the, 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 the unique thought process or, or relationship with tattoos when you are somebody who has tattoos like that. Like, I think... Yeah, but I mean, I would do that. But I, I don't do think that, that matters what I, his I relationship I don't was think to that the tattoos. You, I, don't, I, I think that you would, sh- you, would, you would struggle to find somebody who has that kind of tattooing on their body that would, that would think that that's not cool. You sound a lot like your grandmother, Brian. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> no. Yeah, if, if, Chris if, Wenzel was a if, bad person. I mean, You're going to regret spending be, that my, 70K. Listen, 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 it, it, it could just be how the story is written, but if it was from the perspective of the wife and was like, she really wanted to preserve the yeah, tattoos. No. I mean, imagine, imagine I was like, you guys have to take my tattoos and put them up in the podcast studio. It's going to cost you $70,000 and it's I want it, and that's hey man, it. If and it's your dying wish, Bri, I'll do it. You're gonna do it. I'll do that. Why for you. would we not? Yeah, because <laughs> it's a lot of money, and you don't want them. I do. You, I you want it. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that, Brian. I'm gonna get. You. I'm gonna get you stuffed and put you in the studio. That's what I'm doing. Okay. There, you know what? Yeah. No joke. I think, I no think joke. that's probably. Similar. I know that this is like a totally different like like lane of research. <laughs> Stuffing your friends. <laughs> well, I think that you'd probably run into some legal obstacles there. But I I actually did ask Kyla when cause we have a we have a French bulldog. He's seven, and I'm like, well, you know, he's not gonna be here forever, obviously. <laughs> I was like, should we get him taxidermy? I, I, th- I, looked, in, I looked into it for Bigby. Yeah. It's like, that'd be yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. He's there. He's um, there. Fun fact about the, the tattoo removal thing is uh, the last I heard, um, there was uh, some investigation about whether or not it was, um, I can't remember what the crime is, but it's something about indignity to a body. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. So right. I'm not, I don't know how what the legal status of that practice is. You know, yeah, you know what's yeah. way cheaper than $70,000 is uh, taking Brian, a, what you tell us? Taking a photo of it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I like the Ed Gein thing. It's kind of fun. Um, I think that that is so cool. Yeah, me too. I think I just, just the idea of, uh, just the visual of it, of going, whoa, that's what, 
your skin looks like when it's not on your body. I'm curious about, I'm curious about um, whether or not, like, in your research, um, if if the topic of stigma around tattoos, like, you know, there's stigma, oh, yeah. there's stigma, stigma surrounding grief, there's yep. most certainly stigma surrounding tattoos, yep. even still today. Yep. Um, you know, there's some places in the world that you can't get, like, you know, yep. if you just decide to go, you can't, uh, you know, I'd have to be finding ways to cover all this up. Yep. Um, so what kinds of like, you know, how yeah, does that play a role in your research? Lots of people talked about um, having the tattoos uh, t- in order to push back against all that stigma that you're that you're talking about. Um, we had a wonderful story. We interviewed some artists as well, and we had a wonderful story of a, a Korean tattoo artist uh, with a studio here in Canada um, whose uh, family back in Korea didn't approve of what he was doing because sure. there's you know, the status of tattooing. It's not it's not illegal there, but it's not. It has a weird status, and yeah. they didn't approve of him having a tattoo studio or being a tattoo artist. And he got a tattoo for his paternal grandfather. And his father fell in love with the tattoo and was coming to Canada to get this to get the son to do that tattoo no on way. him. Oh, yeah, cool. isn't that gorgeous? And those yeah. are like those are big barriers. Those yep. can be gi- like yep. very challenging, if not oftentimes yep. impossible barriers to break. Yeah. Yep. You know, when they're sure. like very culturally yep. um, rooted. Yes, yeah. absolutely. One of the things that I was blown away to learn um, with the Holocaust tattoos is about the um, there's there's some in some aspects of, of Judaism that consider it le- illegal to be tattooed. So, I mean, the whole practice of putting numbers on people's arms in the Holocaust was a dehumanizing yeah. um, practice. But it was an extra dehumanizing practice because of the taboo in the, in in the Jewish mm-hmm. religion against tattooing. So mm-hmm. it was it was it's a it was a double stigma um so i know i know too like so we we've mentioned how grief uh oftentimes when people hear the word grief they they more often than not will relate that to death uh or like the loss of someone but um you know i think uh i i I would say it's probably safe to say that like a lot of us here understand too the fact that like grief is also something that you experience when going through you know change in life uh you know, students uh, students right now are grieving the shift from their hometown to now living in a different city, going to a university. Or, um, you know, I, I know that we spoke uh, on the phone prior to this conversation, but, like, the grief uh, um, that goes with big changes in your life, especially, like, just thinking about the, um, you know, LGBTQ folks, people who are trans, who go through surgery, like, there's going to be a grief there of... Okay of that big transition. And I know that you've mentioned that uh, gender reassignment surgery tattoos Mm -hmm. are are something that you've also sort of looked Mm -hmm. into. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell us about that. Like, that's a really interesting... um, I've always always found tattooing scars to be really fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, The first time I ever heard of it, my friend, uh, his name is Yip, he he got his uh, appendix taken out and he just had a line... And he turned it into like a really non plus like smiley face, a non smiley <laughs> face. It was just it was just two eyes and, then, and I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. Um, yep. And and then from that moment forward, you know, we've met a lot of people that have lived with uh, breast cancer, and you know, 
uh, breast cancer surgery, mm-hmm. tattoos are a big thing, yep. nipple tattoos, stuff like that. So yep. Yep. when it comes to like gender reassignment surgery, um, yep. have you spoken to folks who've gone down that road or? Um, I ha- not in the research. I've, um, I've, you know, looked, I've watched on social media and, and observed, uh, observed in, in um, folks who talk about it in, in social media. Um, one of my favorite ones is um, with, with um, breast removal you know, there's a there's a line that's a scar, and one of my favorite people on on Instagram has that line is like the earth with flowers coming out of it. So it's just like it's not. Oh, cool. It's not. Um, it's not trying to cover it up. It's really it's really celebrating yeah. the line, right? Yeah, I mean, because totally. there are tattoos that try to kind of hide a scar, and then there are other tattoos that. Well, there, I remember seeing a, an image of. It was like a zipper. The scar had been incorporated into a tattoo that yeah. looked like a zipper that was partially open and partially closed. It was super cool. Sweet. Yeah, it was really neat. Um, it's amazing. The artistry is mind blowing. Yeah. Um, Does it like do, do you do you are you ever gonna get a tattoo? Are you ever going to get a tattoo, do you think? Maybe. One of the people that that uh, on the research team, every time I say I don't have a tattoo, she yells, yet. Yeah. Because <laughs> she has lost Just the experience of it is like, is, is I mean, again, like I said that earlier, like the experience. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, my personal relationship to tattoos is, is I, uh, I, don't, I don't know how many tattoos I have, three or four. And it's like, it's, it's always something that has stewed mm. with me, uh, that I've stewed on for like, two years or more wow. that I'm like, if this is something that I keep coming back to yeah. two years on, then I'm like, this is something that I should put on my body. It's so opposite to me. I'll like, like tomorrow I'll walk into a studio and be like, eh, I don't know, just uh, draw something here. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious though for you, like yeah. thinking about this, um, why, why do you think you haven't yet? Um, it's it's a combination of things. It's a combination of uh, being in a family that thinks it's um, you know not such a great thing. Um, it's a combination of being being afraid of that kind of pain that really like ugh, that grosses me out. Um, that noise. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's oh, also. I was like, uh, that sucks. <laughs> fire guess alarm. We all have to go. It's the fire alarm. I recognize what that is. <laughs> um, but it's also that I've talked to so many people about what it is that they have and how important that you know a single tattoo is about a single person. I don't know what I choose because because I have five, six friends who died of AIDS and then, you know, other, other people, other losses along the way, what would I choose? I can't, um, I mean, the idea of getting a red ribbon for AIDS is just like, well, that's like, I'll just wear a red ribbon, you know, like it doesn't like, yeah. And I, I, I can't because I've had so many conversations about the the importance and the one like well that that um, that the run with the carabiners is just like amazing and the one the other one that person drew that mm. and then had a tattoo artist um, do it and like like the the stories are just yeah so his son died by suicide and he knew he wanted a tattoo that came to him in a dream oh wow and he woke up sketched it took it to an artist the artist added a few like the sort of smoke but that's to show that his son was loved so his it was his three decades 
um, and mm-hmm. you know the, the the sort of the base of love, and then he was he was snuffed out. Wow. If you were going to get a tattoo, where would you get it? That's a very good question. I can't decide that either. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pick a spot. Yeah, I know. I know. That would be Brian, really it hard. It sounds like you asked her which tattoo studio you would be going to. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's important yeah. too. Like I, you for know, sure. uh, the the for me the relationship would be really really important and um yeah, and also the style because the styles are so and some people only have tattoos by a specific person or tattoos in a specific style. Um, and, uh, you know, I've met people who only go to uh, female presenting tattoo artists or queer tattoo artists or whatever, racialized tattoo artists. But, and like, uh, you know, the, uh, the, um, the choice, and some people are just like, I, I, I need a tattoo today. You know, I've been thinking about this for two years and I want to do it now. And other people like put lots of time and thought into it and travel the red rose she traveled to new york city to get that tattoo like mm-hmm. from a famous tattoo artist right like so it's it's amazing the 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 thought that people put into it mm-hmm. and well i'm not i just don't i'm not i'm not there yet i don't have it <laughs> I, I wonder if because you've heard so many stories from so many people about the importance of it if yeah. like you just feel this like sense of like really great significance yeah. behind like anything that you would consider doing yeah. yeah and i i mean there's so many ways that i know that i memorialize the people in my life that uh that's I just hold on to those pieces. Mm. They're not the, those aspects of my life. They're not. Uh, they're not tattoos, but they're. They're just you know so many. Um, so many parts of my life are are you know memorializations that not people don't necessarily know about. But I like to tell people when they mm. ask. But yeah. Mm. I um I well I gotta say I, after this conversation, um, considering that I don't have any mm-hmm. memorial tattoos, mm-hmm. tattoos to memorialize the people that I've lost in my life, I, I look forward to that day, mm-hmm. and I look like you know I'm 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 definitely no not going to ever stop getting tattoos, and right. um, you know it's funny and like in and in, in this conversation, I mean. You know, talking about the meaning of tattoos and things, one of the fun fun parts about my experience with ink is that oftentimes I'll just get a tattoo right. because I like it. Yeah. Uh, and I don't put... And, and they don't mean anything. So I mean, some of them don't mean anything. Most of them, when I got them, didn't mean anything. Right. But the odd part about that is that over time, a lot of them did start to, like, build and take on meaning. Like, they mm-hmm. almost... Almost like they developed a personality themselves. Yep. And so when people go, what is it, well, you know, what does your tattoo mean? Well, when I first got it, I would have went, I don't know, it looks cool. Yeah. But eventually it got to a point where I, I there's an entire background and story to some of these tattoos. Yep. So for anybody out there who, you know, is like thinking about getting a memorial, memorialization tattoo, um, just get a tattoo and then eventually one day you might just put some meaning to it. Who knows? <laughs> um, I think a lot of them just take, uh, well, even if they sometimes, not, not all the time, but even if they start with a defined meaning, that meaning can change. Yeah, probably totally. not in the, yeah. in the, in the context of a m- memorial tattoo. That's oh, probably, but they, they can't, the, one of the, actually one of the students working on the project, um, when asked sort of what she had learned from working on the project, she said, I've learned that the story never ends. And I thought that mm. is a beautiful way of putting mm. it because the story doesn't end and grief doesn't end. And it can, and, and again, it can, and it changes. changes and so yeah. that, and, and, and so it, even when they're not memorial tattoos, 
the meaning changes and that, and and that's great yeah it's fabulous um we have a little bit more time and what i would love to do now because this because this conversation about tattoos and grief was was so interesting and thank you for that thank um you. because again prior to speaking with you it's something that i never really kind of thought much about right. um there's there's something else that I haven't really thought much about when it comes to grief, and uh, I'm going to welcome up another member of Good Grief Nova Scotia to uh, talk about um, the intersections between grief and yard sales. Uh, so for uh, for our next guest, please give a big, warm round of applause for Mary Ellen McDonald. So I guess, actually, you know what, before we get into the yard sale thing, um, maybe, uh, maybe if, if you guys wouldn't mind, just give us a little bit of a, um, a sort of primer on Good Grief Nova Scotia. Like, what is, what is the work that you guys are trying to do? What is, what's your mission? Like, give us, give us, uh, give us the goods. Well, um, I mean, so much of it is exactly what we've just been talking about, or listening to you talk about. It's about talking about grief. And not being afraid to talk about it, to not being afraid to have emotion when you talk about it, um, seeking people who want to listen and join the conversation. Um, and you know, we, we talk about the the combination of making it normal, but also making it social, right? Mm. So it's. Those, those two things. So normal to have a conversation, to get a tattoo, to get a memorial tattoo, um, but also, and like Susan was talking about, the, the community element of yeah. grief. And that's, so that's, it's those two elements that we're really trying to bring forward in Good Grief Nova Scotia. Like, okay, so to that point, do you, do you guys have... Um, do you guys have tips? Like a, a, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, her her um, stepfather passed away mm -hmm. not too long ago, and I drove her up to Toronto uh, to be with her mother after it happened. And you know that's a long drive, a mm -hmm. uh, good like fourteen hours um, or so, someplace somewhere around there. You drive really fast. Uh, <laughs> eighteen hours, eighteen hours. Um, <laughs> And, and the one thing that I... to make that conversation go by <laughs> faster. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, yeah. the, one, the one thing that I did notice was, like, I, even though I feel really comfortable in talking about those mm. types mm -hmm. of things, there was this sense of, of really not knowing how to mm -hmm. broach the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I'm sure for her, there actually is also that, that's, yeah. that feeling of, like, yeah. I don't want to burden you kind of thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, like, do you have any sort of tips or like ways that people can kind of think about about engaging in that type of conversation especially when it's needed mm -hmm. without having that sensation of like feeling as though you're going to be a fucking bummer you know mm -hmm. or right. or whatever mm -hmm. even yeah. though that's totally fine yeah. if you are yeah. 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 right yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i i would start by saying just acknowledge that in the silence everyone's thinking about it Mm -hmm. So just because they're not talking about it <laughs> doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I would start there. Like some people think, well, I don't want to bring it up because, you know, they're happy right now or they're smiling or they're doing something um, that is not, doesn't seem like they're grieving right now. 
they're still grieving. Yeah. Like, you know, we were talking earlier, it's, it's that combination, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, so, so don't assume that they're not thinking about it because especially if it's fresh and new, they, they are, they are. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is do it in a way that gives them permission to go there or not, right? Like just be really kind of human and honest and authentic and bring it forward, but say, if you don't want to go there right now, then that's completely okay. Just know that when you're ready to, or when you want to, I'm there, I'm there. Yeah, I think that that's like a, that, that's, that's, there's like consistencies along, um, you know, a lot of the conversations that we've had about any number of, whether whatever disease or illness that somebody's mm -hmm. working with or dealing with is like people, like something that we, realized maybe in the first year of of doing this podcast was that <clears throat> like how could we how can we do how can we do this what you're doing on this show but in our lives that isn't recorded and and scheduled and we were like well maybe schedule it <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah or and 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 yeah. and not necessarily yeah. Or or open the door to that schedule, like on the on the on the, in the same kind of lane as you were on. Open the door to that. Mm -hmm. That you know we can do that, mm -hmm. and and maybe instead of bringing it up spontaneously mm -hmm. in a moment that feels very wrong, because maybe the purpose of why you're hanging out mm -hmm. was not to do with this at all. Mm -hmm. Maybe defining the time. Yes. Like can be that. helpful yeah. for that. Yeah. And I, I was I was just going to add I think being specific in offering help or or you know not just people often say well let me know if you need something mm -hmm. when people are ill or yeah. someone's died let me know let me know. <laughs> I hate that so much. Yeah. I hate when people do that. Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself doing it. Yeah. But whenever yeah. someone says that yeah. to me I yeah. know I'm going to go yeah. Well, I'm probably not going to think about it, to be yeah. honest with you. Like, I, you're probably not the person I'm going to think about right. to reach out to. But, but at the same, but time, I would really love if you, if you did yeah. do something, yeah. like you yes. know. Yeah. I, I guess I, I wonder because, like, I hear a, like I I feel like I've heard this sort of advice a lot. Like, you know, just just talk to them about it because, like, that's the best thing that you can do. But I I, I feel like in those situations, I really struggle with no, mm -hmm. like finding the language. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. what is the yeah. way that I can say that is like mm -hmm. going to make them feel comfortable? and supported and like they have you know the choice to so like i i kind of like just like need, that i need you like just a, said it like that's <laughs> how you do it because, like, because I, mean, I don't know what to say I, we're so afraid of saying i don't know what to say yeah. but yeah. i want you to know yeah. that if you want to talk about it great if not i'm here and you know i'm yeah. here we're gonna have you know we're having lunch or whatever you know like mm -hmm. but like, yeah i think yeah. that i mean that, that really is it it's, it's you know it, it makes me think too about sort of tools uh, in, in, like, in like intimate relationships, you know, where yeah. like you, you want to have a conversation about a, yeah. maybe a hard conversation with your partner, yeah. something that you're like, yeah. I don't know, like I know if I bring this up, like maybe we're going to like get, you know, devolve into a fight or something like that. And so going into that conversation by saying, hey, I want to talk to you about something, but I'm feeling really mm -hmm. vulnerable right mm -hmm. now. And I just want you to know before we have this conversation. I need you to relax and stay just, relaxed. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that always works. Yeah. But like just being very, for, be, being very, uh, very honest in that yeah. moment. Look, I don't know what to say, yeah. but I, but I want to be mm -hmm. here yeah. to say mm -hmm. 
anything if you need it, and yeah. and maybe we can have a conversation. And, and something and, that yeah. something that uh, is really has come up a lot in talking uh, to people who are are living with an illness is that people often feel like they want to be a cheerleader or that they need to be a cheerleader for this person rather than, and, and, and oftentimes it is very comforting when someone just goes, man, that sucks. Yeah, exactly. That's such a great way to say it. It does. It just sucks. And I've actually started doing that when I hear about someone who's experienced some sort of event, a, a death, a loss, I will write to them and say, wow, that sucks. I will actually write that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or like, oh, damn, that sucks. Like something mm-hmm. like with really kind of emotional, if it's someone that I'm, you know, I'm comfortable with, mm-hmm. but just to be on, brutally honest, like it really mm-hmm. does. I don't know why it's so comforting to hear that too. Like I, I went to the dermatologist. Because the it's other, the real part. Yeah. yeah. You know? I went to the dermatologist the other day and I was like, I went in and I was like, I've got this like rash all over my entire body. Um, except for my torso. So it's like all my legs, all my arms, I'm scratching, like to, like I'm bleeding. And I was like, do you have any answers? And he literally just goes, I have no idea. That sucks. And I was like, well, fuck, I really needed an answer. But the fact that you said that that sucks makes me feel really good. Thank you. Every time, every time I'm in therapy and uh, my therapist says, that sounds really hard. I like, I just burst into tears every time. I'm like, it is really hard. <laughs> and he starts panting. <laughs> yeah. and, Rolls and, over. And, and pawing. And she rubs my belly. Uh, can, I, can I add one more thing? Is, is yeah, yeah. Show up, show up, and uh, when it's somebody important to you, show up and keep showing up. Yeah. And show up, show up with regularity. Like, I have a really dear friend. We had Thursday night fires. When she, when her husband died, like we just started like because it was COVID and we couldn't meet inside, blah blah blah. So we sat around the fire in like winter and summer yeah. and like, but every Thursday and it was it was great. And yeah. sometimes we didn't talk about anything related to grief, but it, if we did, we did. Yeah. But I just kept showing up. I feel like some of the 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 best time. And I know that I've had like lots of this time with you guys. Um, and probably especially you and I, since like we grew up, um, since we were 10 years old together. Sorry. sorry. No, it's okay. I get it. Sorry that you're not not included in that. Not as important. Like the amount of time that we have spent just being in the same room as each other and not speaking. Like Mm. I find that that is the most valuable time with, Friends is mm-hmm. is the time where it doesn't feel like it needs to be filled by space, which then makes you feel like, you know, if I'm ever going through something that's like really tough, like we can just be together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't mm-hmm. need to. You don't necessarily yeah. need to be empathizing with me or. Mm-hmm. But then, you, or, but it it does get weird though when you do that, and then we talk to you, and you just like. <laughs> Just don't respond. And you don't respond at all for like days. It's weird. Um, I like my silence, but it's good man. to know you feel comfortable. Yeah. yeah a little very, too comfortable, I if you ask very, me. I feel very at home. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Mary Ellen, you, I, I, would love to, I, I would love for you to, uh, before we get into talking about like the yard sale thing, uh, if you could actually just tell us, uh, you know, your own condensed version of the story of you and your daughter uh, going... Uh, uh, going to a yard sale where you had this sort of shift in the way that you viewed this activity that is something that you and your daughter 
uh, sort of did on a regular basis. Yeah. So um, we're just big yard sailors because, and it's just something that we do. We love to do. Um, and originally I was kind of very much in that kind of frame of you go to a yard sale because you get a good deal. We actually, we rank our yard sales and like it's not five stars. It's based upon the, the level of the cool appliances. So we would be like, oh, that's a four appliance yard sale. Like, you know, if there was an instant pot, it would be a five appliance yard sale. So like we're like hardcore yard sale people. Do you call um, yourselves yardies? Pardon? Do you call yourself yardies? Yeah. I would. <laughs> Just saying. Um, and there's something about Nova Scotia, like rural yard sales too, like city yard sales, you know, they're expensive and there's like competition, get, but rural yard sales are like, you know, things are actually literally 25 cents. Like I don't even yeah. have quarters, but like there are things and they have, you know, someone has taken a little sticker and put 25 cents on and it. They're like, huge. They seem to be like the, the rural ones. You're like, oh, oh my amazing. God, you guys are, you guys are having a, uh, an entire yeah. Oh, yeah. life sale. Oh, like yeah. there's oh, everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so this is just kind of our routine on Saturday mornings we go yard sailing. Um, and so that was just what it was. And so there was just this one yard sale that I went to and I walked into a rural home off a, hi off a highway and there was something different about this sale. And so, first of all, there was just two, I think, two tables filled with, you know, the classic yard sale stuff, like, you know, puzzles and some appliances. They weren't good appliances. Um, but this one whole table with dog paraphernalia, and it was a specific kind of dog. So, like, a, a dachshund dog, a wiener dog. And it was mugs with this dog on it and plates and little uh, figurines and... And then I realized it was one older gentleman behind the table, which is also strange for a rural yard sale. They're, they're often, you know, very gendered. It's, it's very much kind of women or women's groups having yard sales. It's strange to see a single older gentleman having a yard sale. And it just hit me that there's a story here that I need to hear. And, you know, we just kind of, you know, did our yard sale thing and went around the table and I just gently opened a possibility for this gentleman to perhaps tell a story. And, you know, you, you just kind of start with, oh, you must really like dogs. And it took him about three seconds to let me know that he and his wife used to have a kennel. They liked this particular kind of dog and they only had that kind of dog in their kennel. And she died from COVID. Oh. And five years before that, he had a son, adult son die. And a week after his wife died, his second son died. Oh my God. And he was having a yard sale, partly just to pass the time. It was just, he's living in this house by himself, and he was just passing the time. And partly it was, oh, you know, he kind of was like, oh, I was kind of cleaning out the house. But it was also just something to do. 
And he just wanted to talk. Like, he just wanted, and we had this amazing conversation, and, you know, I did the kind of grief literate things where, you know, I asked him for the name of his wife, and, and then I started using that name, right? And the name of his children, and I asked about the children, and we just, you know, had a lovely conversation. He, it, he was, like, really? He's lonely. Of course he's lonely. He's mm. grieving. He... Of course, the, the neighbors have already heard the story, right? The church group has already heard the story. He was really looking for someone else who would sit and listen to that story. And so it was that experience where I just went, wow, yard sales are this amazing kind of opportunity to hear those stories. Like, for sure, sometimes a sale, of course, is just a sale, right? But so often you have a yard sale when there's some transition happening in your life, mm. right? You're, you got divorced and you're trying to get rid of stuff or you've lost your job and you're trying to make some money or you're getting transferred, your job, you're getting trying and you have to move out of your community or empty nester, you know, your children have grown up and you're on your own and you're trying to get, like, so it's so much... There's so many kind of potential grief stories in a yard sale. Mm. It, it really struck me when you said, when we were talking the other day and you mentioned that, because I just had never really, I mean, it's one of those things that when you say it, you go, right, of course. Yeah. Yeah. But like underlying any yard sale is like some transitionary, mm -hmm. like as superficial as it might be in one sense to, you know, monumental, like in the sense mm -hmm. of you going to visit um, you going to, to visit that yard sale and finding out the story of that man like I'm going to and, and, and kind of encompassing this whole kind of whole conversation is like how grief can be some uh, some relatively benign superficial thing uh, down uh, up to you know life altering mm -hmm. never never be the same like mm -hmm. we were talking before the show that I'm going to I'm going to move to a mm -hmm. new house next mm -hmm. year and I know that because my, my family is getting bigger and I, yeah. we, have, we need more space and it's like, I'm going to move into a new neighborhood. And I am, I'm, like, preparing the grief of moving mm -hmm. from the neighborhood mm -hmm. that I've, like, come to know and have loved for, mm -hmm. you know, six or seven years. And, like, that's obviously very superficial, and I will get over that very fairly quickly. But it is, like, representative of, like, a small grief mm -hmm. that you have mm -hmm. to deal with. And don't, and don't minimize that. I mean, I think one of the things mm -hmm. that we all need to do is be compassionate with ourselves around grief. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't minimize it just because it feels... Mm. small and you feel like you get, get over it quickly, mm -hmm. it is a loss when you are moving out of a neighborhood, even when you've chosen to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And be kind to yourself. Even to, oftentimes those, 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 you know, those experiences that we, that we minimize, mm -hmm. I mean, not, not oftentimes, but very, it's, very, um, it's very possible that those experiences, no matter what they are, can go on to have like a profound effect mm -hmm. on the way that you go about your day to day. You know, mm -hmm. if there's uh, one thing that I've learned going to therapy, it's that I like I'm surprised constantly at how small things can mm -hmm. have yeah. their yeah totally big impact, mm -hmm. uh, especially like small things left over time that sort mm -hmm. of grow yeah. into bigger things. Yeah. I, I'm curious, Mary Ellen, for you, are you the type of person that when you were speaking to this gentleman thought? Wow, I'm gonna get a good deal now. Or, <laughs> and did you capitalize on that? 
<laughs> I, That's not what I, I was expecting. I actually. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> I bought. I did. I bought a little dog, and the dog's in my car. Oh, and oh, it, so it comes with me everywhere. And it's oh. just this, it was just such an important, profound moment for me. And I just carry that little dog in my car with me because it was just a gratitude for the moment mm. to just kind of have that aha. And it just, it was a paradigm shift for me, really. Yeah, it's really beautiful. Yeah. But I think you're avoiding the question. <laughs> Did you pay? There was no instant pot. <laughs> I mean, God, like, God, hear, hearing that story, though, <laughs> hearing that story definitely, like, definitely changes the way, like, when I, my, my relationship to yard sales is that um, in my neighborhood when I was growing up, every single year, it was like, I don't know, July 1st or something, every year there would be, like, a, 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 a neighborhood yard sale. Like, the whole street would partake, and it was, like, this big festive event. And so when I see yard sales, that's what I think of. Yeah. I've never once thought about a yard yeah. sale yeah. being yeah. a yard sale for the reason of like a massive transition, like a mm -hmm. death or a divorce mm -hmm. or, you know, mm -hmm. a, a loss of a job or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so now like my whole, my whole perspective on yard mm -hmm. sales has like shifted mm -hmm. in, in the sense that when I go into a yard sale, I don't think I'll ever bargain or, or haggle yeah. again. You know, it's like, I'll pay you more for these things. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I feel you know? I do feel that. I, and yeah. So there was an, another yard sale. It was kind of my that, my summer of grief yard sales. Um, so <laughs> and again, it was uh, a gentleman at a yard sale by himself. You know, um, he was a younger gentleman, and it was just okay. Something something's going on here. And there was a really beautiful chair, and I was moving, and I needed a chair. And so I actually opened the conversation with him around this chair, and it turned out it was his wife's chair, and his wife had died of breast cancer four oh years God. ago. And I bought the chair, and I told him, I will think of her, and I said her name, I will think of her when I sit on the chair. And every day I do. I sit on mm. that chair. It's a really comfortable chair. Mm. And, and it was really cheap. Is the chair haunted? <laughs> Is it haunted? Yes. Well, do you feel speaking, drawn to no, it? Speaking of haunted, I like haunted things. Yeah, me too. Because for me, I like keeping my ghosts with me. Mm. So I, I like the metaphor of the ghost. Mm -hmm. I like thinking about the ghosts in my life. I like making room for them. So something like, you know, jewelry. These two rings are from a very dear friend of mine who died. And I don't feel like I lost her. Like mm. I don't use that language of loss because she's with me. Mm -hmm. But And I like using the metaphor of the ghost to think about how I make space in my life to keep her near me. Yeah. So. I, I will take that as an invite to haunt the shit out of you <laughs> when I'm dead. Bring it on. I'm going to scare the living bejesus out of you. It's going to be the, so fun. I think one of the things that we're not really thinking about is I, I, uh, the unintended consequence of this conversation is um, that yard sales were kind of the last refuge where inflation hadn't really taken hold. <laughs> and we're putting the power into yard sailors to up their prices with, <laughs> with, with very compelling stories. Yeah. So going to be really disappointed. Yeah.
Um, uh, well, th- I, I, I gotta say, um, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad. I'm really proud to say that there is people here in Halifax doing the work that you guys do. Um, Good Grief Nova Scotia, you know, pr- trying to promote just better grief uh, uh, literacy, uh, grief intelligence. Um, I, it's something that, again, I said at the very top of the show, like it's, it's something that we very much believe in. Mm-hmm. Grief and, smarts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and to know that you guys are doing this um, and putting, you know, taking your time to kind of push and propel these messages forward to have people be more comfortable with these types of conversations means the world to us. Um, and it means the world to us that people like yourselves have taken a, just a sliver of your evening to come and sit and watch a bunch of strangers or maybe not so strangers talk about death and talk about grief. Um, again, it's like it, it, if there's one thing that infuriates me, it is that we are, have such a hard time with grief and with death um, because it's, it, I, I just think it's so silly. It's, it's such a silly thing that we, we struggle so much with that thing that we're all going to do. We're all dying. We're currently dying right now, you know, and, and it's going to happen to everyone we know. It might happen to us before it happens to them, and we just don't want to admit it. And so the work that you do helps open up our eyes, helps open up our hearts and our arms to like mm. accept that fact mm-hmm. so that we can handle it with more literacy. We can handle it with more grace and we can handle it with more mm. care. And um, I think that's really, really valiant. And I want to say thank you for that. Mm. And also thank you all for showing up. Mm-hmm. Um, this has been a real treat. So, it, you know, we, we haven't done live shows in a while and, and uh, to be invited out by you guys to come and have this conversation was, it was, uh, of course, we were, we were so happy to do. Well, and I want to say thank the three of you for doing the work that you do because you are also moving that conversation forward. And I think, you know, the sort of the, the demographic, too, of, of who you're reaching is a demographic that isn't necessarily having the conversations. Yeah. And, and, and kudos, kudos to, to all three of you for, for continuing to do that and, like, and doing it on a bigger bigger platform, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a guy in the audience here who says glizzy and, like, bet and, like, mid... <laughs> And like non ironically, um, so you know, to have a conversation in front of this young buck here, who is uh, you know um, just simps on us. Is that how you? Is that is that it? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Let's let's uh, let's wrap this up the way we would with a normal show uh, by saying thank you so much to our guests. This meant the world to us. Thank you all so much for showing up. It really does mean the world to us. Uh, That is it for this week. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. Thank you so much. Thank you. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.